Hello, I'm Chris Biddle, and this is episode 65 of Inside AgriTurf. Thank you for joining me. Now, finding staff, finding the right person for a specialist and specific role within your organisation is probably one of the biggest challenges facing every dealer at the moment. And indeed, it's the same with every company and every industry. Do you do it yourself by advertising in newspapers or magazines and posting on social media? Or do you engage a recruitment agency to find suitable candidates, thus saving you valuable time sorting the wheat from the chaff? In a recent episode of Inside AgriTurf, the group service manager of a leading multi-branch dealership had a bit of a pop at recruitment agency saying that they did not do enough to really understand his business and the specific details of the roles he wanted to fill. He added that he ended up wasting time interviewing totally unsuitable candidates. Which set me wondering, how should a recruitment agency function? What relationship will they have with the client? And what steps do they take to fully understand the exact specifications, qualifications and experience needed to fill vacancies in an increasingly complex and technology-driven industry? So to find out more, I'm pleased to be joined today by Stuart Goodinson, Managing Director, and Grace Nugent, General Manager of DeLacy Executive Recruitment, who specialise in the agricultural and land-based sectors. And let me say right at the outset that there is and has not been a commercial relationship between their company and the dealership referred to earlier. So Stuart, Grace, welcome. And, and let me ask you first... How are you finding the current pool of suitable candidates to fill roles in the agricultural sector, particularly compared with pre-COVID times? Good Great. question. Um, one you can imagine we're getting a lot at the moment, um, Chris. I think uh, maybe uh, an accurate description for that question would be it's keeping us on our toes, um, I think is a, is a fair a fair comment um, of where we're at because I personally have I've been in recruitment um, for a long time and there's uh, lots of ups and downs like there is with, with any sector, any industry. I, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this comment and you will continue to hear that it is a candidate short market at the moment. But uh, it swings and roundabouts because, again, you know, that that is what we're here to do. It's just all how you face these challenges. And when you come across the challenges, it's just maybe um, altering how you approach things to really adapt with it. Yeah. And Stuart, you, you've presumably been in this industry for some time. Is it more difficult now than you've known in the past? Well, I've been in the agricultural industry for 35 years or something like that both as a client and as a candidate and as um, managing director to Lacey Executive. And right at the moment is a very difficult time. Um, by that, what I mean is, is that um, it's very difficult for companies to persuade candidates to join them. Candidates are not in a moving um, frame of mind. Uh, the last two years has delivered unsettlement to, to both um, themselves and to businesses. And uh, so um, a lot of what we're having to do at the moment is to persuade candidates that now is the time to think about moving your career. Now is the time to, to think about joining and taking up the next new thing. So, yes, it's uh, it's a challenge, but that's what we get paid for. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, so, Stuart, you're 
uh, the managing director of uh, De Lacey Executive, and, and Grace, uh, you are general manager. So mm-hmm. tell me a little bit about the company, uh, who it is, who it's owned by, and who it's associated with. Okay, so um, De Lacey Executive has been around for 22 years, and, and that just means that we pretty much know everybody in the marketplace we've either worked with or know every company, and we, we know an awful lot of candidates. So it just means we know a, a lot of people. De Lacey Executive is now owned by Farms.com, who are a company similar to Farmers Weekly, but are based in Canada. And Farms.com um, provide information and media to farmers around the world. And they are particularly involved in the recruitment uh, sector. So they own job boards, like the Farmers Weekly job board. They, they own job boards in the food sector. We, they own Delacy Executive in the UK. We now own Merston Peters, uh, another recruitment business in the UK. Um, and we also have a job boards called farms.com in North America. Um, so we're very, the parent company is very much involved in recruitment across the, uh, you know, on both sides of the Atlantic and across the world as well. And so this obviously gives you uh, an international reach. And, and is, um, is, the, is the other side of the pond, is that experiencing the similar sort of problems that you're seeing over here with uh, candidates? Uh, yes, I think the, the, what, the, this candidate short market exists all around the world. Yeah. Um, it, it's the same scenarios. Uh, and Grace, um, we were talking earlier, and I, I think you suggested that whilst you are called uh, DeLacy Executive uh, Recruitment, you, you see yourselves as as more than a recruitment agency. Um, yes. Why is that? Yes, no, it, it's it's very interesting because I think the the word recruitment is such a it's it's a very broad term, um, as I'm sure you can appreciate. In the very you know, in the same way agriculture is a very broad term like we all know because we're all in it how much there is in in all these sectors that we're in you know there's so many areas to them and it's exactly the same in recruitment and I think kind of a good way to sum us up of of where we're at in the market is we are very much here to um you know, take that recruitment to the next level. We're about collaborative recruitment. Um, so that means that, you know, we're, we're much more about the person and, you know, who's going to actually fill that role rather than it just being a fit on paper. Uh, you know, we really do take it to the next level in that way. And, you know, our, our approach we know works and it very much isn't just, as I say, about putting somebody in a role that can do the job. It's about putting somebody in a role that's really going to help take your business to the next level. That's where our strength is in the market. Yeah, indeed. And um, I guess in in your role, I suppose there's two key questions, really. Um, What do the clients expect from you, your agency? Uh, And uh, on the other side of the fence from that, uh, what do you expect from your clients, uh, Stuart. What, how would you how would you sum up um, what the clients are really looking for when they engage mm. you? Well, and it's a good question. And um, I, I think when clients think about an agency, they think about us in the same way as they might think about estate agents. And and I would say that um, you could have a an online estate agent called Purple Bricks for very little money. Or you could go to Savills, who actually know what they're talking about as far as agriculture is concerned. So what do clients actually expect uh, from us? Well, actually, they're paying us to take all the frustration, all the hard work, 
all of the anguish, all of the time, all of the time wasters out of recruitment. The, the Finding the right person is the most difficult bit. And um, we're saving them all of that time. They're paying us money to, to do that. So, so they want us to find the person that can move their business forward, not the person that ticks boxes on a piece of paper. No, no. And um, somebody aligned to that, um, in, what do you expect from your clients? I, I, I suppose it's a very, very accurate job description because what might be a, a role on paper is not always uh, what it seems, perhaps. Definitely. I think for us, maybe flipping that question slightly on its head is it's more about that relationship that we have with the client. You know, we can all sit here and do, you know, a, a job description, but sometimes it's more than that. It's learning who our clients are, having that relationship, understanding their culture, understanding the type of people that tend to flourish in their business more and are more likely to last. Uh, you know, that it definitely is that relationship, partnership, you know, communication, communication. That is what we do expect when we work with clients because, you know, we have to adapt. We have to go to the market. We have to have that feedback. It's our job to make this job achievable and to find that right person. So we have to, you know, look at the solutions together. Sometimes it's not simply a case of replacing one salesperson with another salesperson. You know, sometimes it might be different angles that we have to look at to achieve the goal that we're all trying to achieve together. And just just to support um, exactly what, what Grace is saying there is that what we find often is there can be very much a difference between what they what they want and what they think they want. Also, you know, you kind of go into this thinking that the, the that the person at the top of the business knows exactly what they want. But very often, these job descriptions are then written third hand by somebody in the HR department who has missed some of the nuance in in what the business needs. Um, and therefore, um, unless the client communicates really, really openly with us, we can get lost between that that gap between what the MD thinks they want and what the HR person heard that they want. Uh, And sometimes recruitment businesses get, you know, lost in in that gap. So what we expect from our uh, working with, with clients is just communication, communication, communication and understanding what they really, really, really want. There's a song coming out. I knew, thank you, yes. <laughs> I'm glad somebody said it. <laughs> yeah, and and so it's that um, we want to talk to the clients or the decision maker um, a lot to really understand the business, really understand what they're trying to and achieve. And how, how in the that changes as well, isn't it, Stuart? Yes. Because yeah. you know we all know you can go into it thinking you want somebody, and then you start interviewing, and actually your preconceptions might have changed. And we need to be with you on that journey. Yeah. And indeed, uh, candidates' perceptions of a particular role or a particular mm-hmm. industry can change. They they look at a glossy ad for cider on, and think it's all about sitting on an old Fergie tractor and, and with a bird singing. Um, and they think, oh, well, I'd like to do that. So, I mean, you need to sh- sift those people out if they're not entirely suitable. Um, and at, and indeed, one dealer was saying to me recently, people think it's all mechanical, but it's no longer mechanical. It's all about electronics today. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the kind of people we were looking for then is not the kind of person that we're looking for now. Uh, so when you 
when you hook up with a client, uh, rather, you mentioned estate agents earlier on. Do you like to have an exclusive contract with with that uh, with that client, or does it sometimes happen that uh, they will uh, you will have it shared and, and and so on? Definitely, without a doubt. All circling back to our relationship, we need that we need that exclusivity um, for it to work. You know, we would you know we wouldn't win in a race in regard to just getting cvs and putting them in we have to you know have the time to be able to do that job and do it right and clearly time goes into that but also if i was putting myself in the client shoes would i want multiple companies out there representing my brand and not knowing how they were doing it rather than one using one reliable source who i trust and know is going to represent my company in the right way that's a really good point just to pick up on, Grace, if I can, uh, Chris. In the, in, when you work, if you're a client and you're working with a good recruitment business, you are effectively supporting each other's brand. You are part of each other's brand identity. Mm-hmm. We are selling your brand. We are representing your brand. So the more we know about you, the more we understand what you want to be seen as in the marketplace, the more we understand what makes your company brilliant to work for, then then we are effectively marketing your company for you. By the same token, we need to represent um, where you know they we are part of their, their brand as well. And it's the same thing with 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 candidates. When a good recruitment business that candidate represents the recruitment business's brand. And therefore, what we do at Delacy is we will send um, people across that we think are very, very good for that role. And if we don't, then actually we're letting our own brand down. Mm. So brand integrity is so, so important. Um, So clients really need to understand that they need to work with a company that will represent them well, but also a company that knows the absolute detail behind what you do in your business and what that sector is. Sitting on Fergie's is, is, is completely irrelevant. Uh, understanding diagnostic tools through through AI is, is, is where it's at now. And unless you understand that, poof, you're not going to find the people for that yeah. business. When you're advertising roles, and this is often, um, you will see a job advertised, but the company is not identified. Is there a golden rule for you as a company <laughs> on whether you do or not, don't, don't identify the company, or is that the client's decision? Um, Our personal uh, view on it, Chris, is not to identify the company. Again, if I was putting myself in the client's shoes, that's what you're paying us to do. You know, why if we get the company out there, um, it means that people, maybe I would argue the wrong people would try and go around us and then go to them directly. Um, So that's, again, going to put more time on them. And also it's that curiosity element when you don't put everything out there. It's those candidates that aren't aware that they're particularly, well, those people, may I say, that aren't aware that they are actively looking and they're just, you know, seeing what's out there. Those are the ones that real good conversations can um, happen with. And I definitely know we are uh, and we stay very strong on that um, of not actually getting out who the client is. Don't get me wrong, Chris, as, as, as everything in the world we're in, nothing's black and white. And if it's, you know, very important to a certain client, you know, in certain conditions, then okay. But we, for that to work, we definitely need that exclusivity and that very close relationship. 
Presumably, you've got two parts of your business. One is a is a, a bank of candidates, hopefully on your books, who are looking for roles, and the other side, obviously, is is clients, companies looking for staff. How often can you affect a, an easy crossover between those two groups? Is that pool of candidates sort of larger or smaller than the the jobs available mm. at the moment? Well, whilst um, Delisi Executive will have a has a database of twenty five thousand or more um, people on it, who are all relevant for, for roles within agriculture. I wouldn't describe them as being on the books. I think the term being on the books is very much what we would call sort of high street recruitment, where perhaps somebody needs 15 fabricators for three days next week. Then that requirement of, do I have 20 fabricators available? Yes or no, is a, is a different job to what we would we would do. What I would say is that our database is a, is a tool for us to do the searching in. And as I explained at the start, searching for candidates at the moment who are ready, ready, willing and able to move roles is a hard job at the moment. Now, what I would say is that 20% of candidates are active in the marketplace. And if you think about it, Chris, if they're active in the marketplace at the moment, why, why is that um, when, when there are so many jobs um, need to be filled. 20% of candidates would be um, in a position where they're very, very happy and they will not move and, in fact, get annoyed if you ask them. That leaves 60% of candidates, either on our database or just in general, who, if you can find them, if you can tap on the shoulder, on their shoulder, if you can talk to them, can be persuaded to think about doing something else. Those 60% of candidates are not, um, talking to cl- clients, they're not on LinkedIn looking for jobs. They're not ringing up whoever it is asking for a job. It's those sixty percent of the of the of the candidates that that clients are paying us good money to hunt and find and seek and talk to and tap them on the shoulders and bring in. So yeah. so yes. That's a long answer to, to your short question. <laughs> no, 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 that, that's fine. And as we're talking about candidates at the moment, obviously some interview well, they're personable and they can mm. put themselves over. Some can write excellent CVs, but some can't and many mm. can't. What's your role in helping them through that process, Grace? Yeah, no, that's a really good question because the way we all talk about it, we, we you know, the fact that um, obviously we all call people candidates to us, you know, it, it's not about that side. People are our business. You know, we're not about just CVs. It's so much more, you know, it is about who that person is. And, you know, I've seen it myself. Obviously, I'm in the sector. There's so much information on the internet. You can almost get yourself in a world that, you know, the perfect CV, the best interview tips, you know, it, it, it's endless, really. But what DeLacy are about is we're about you as an individual. So, yes, anyone can put top, key, you know, key tips of how to write a CV. But for us, it's about finding out who you are and actually giving you that personal advice giving you that tailored advice if that's the particular role that you want to go for that is how you should you know uh, obviously edit your cv accordingly if this is your interview this is what we know about the, the company this is you know the key points we know that they'll be honing into it's that specific advice rather than just trying to put everyone mm. into one pot that is really kind of very mm. much where we we stand in the market and genuinely chris says if you are a good person for us to deal with you know if you that again we circle back on every side we work with that good communication that honesty that keeping us up to date then really there's 
there's no limit on the support that DeLacy can give you. And presumably one of the um, available pools that you will be fishing in are the land-based colleges, the agricultural colleges, either Mm -hmm. higher education or further education. Uh, I presume you keep very close links with uh, those organisations, those colleges? Yeah, what definitely. And it's actually very um, close to our to our heart, bigger than a commercial sense as well, Chris, because, you know, we've all been there. I went to have cultural college myself. I'm a farmer's daughter. I went into it really not knowing what more there was to do than, you know, to, to work on my family farm. And those opportunities weren't pointed out to me. And actually, that's really fueled part of our passion here is to take it forward and to really go out and give a presentation to unis and colleges and to say, this is what the sector has to offer. These are where you can aim for. This is, you know, all the opportunities within. And, you know, we do find everyone's great. Everyone's very receptive of that who we've been dealing with. And, you know, my colleague, um, Alex, she actually is our um, college and university specialist who we've got in the company and she as part of her role is actually to go out and have those connections and and most of your I mean you you mentioned your background at the outset Stuart most of your staff do have agricultural connections or or um, qualifications do they yes yeah most of us have, yeah got farming rural agricultural backgrounds yep but away from the colleges the ag colleges in particular what level of interest is there from those who are currently outside the agricultural field? Because obviously the industry is changing. I mean, I'm, I'm involved particularly in the agricultural engineering side and in the engineering, as we mentioned earlier, uh, is moving from mechanical to, to electronics. And you would have thought this might well uh, interest um, those who would not necessarily have been interested in the past. Mm. How are you finding things? Well, for agriculture in general, there is growing interest from outside. And if we stop calling it agriculture for a minute and call it food production, ah, because good. effectively that's what it is, people are interested in in food production, where food comes from, and are starting to understand how, how that 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 is done. And so, what we find, what I'm finding in particular, is that. Let's take agricultural marketing, Um, getting a lot of outside interest from people who want to be involved in marketing for food production, uh, for um, agencies that work in in agri-food marketing. Focusing in a little bit more on an engineering side of things, yes, the the advent of AI, the advent of more interesting things in agriculture like drone technology, AI technology, uh, diagnostic technology, that is making it more interesting to engineers who have gone down the route of engineers, but not necessarily in agriculture. So yes, there is there is definitely outside interest. It's how we harness that interest and how we we make the most of that, that that's the difficult bit. And there's, there's one other area that I've mentioned a couple of times on these podcasts. I do recall being at an open day at Sparsholt College mm. and um, showing people a gleaming, lovely big tractor. I just happened to talk about the environment and immediately people's, uh, the pupils, uh, because it was a load of school children, mm. uh, their ears pricked up. And so you know, selling environmental uh, connections with agriculture would also seem to be a very important uh, route to go. Yes. Yeah, and I, I would agree with that. Environmental sustainability, um, reduction of carbon footprints in farming, all of those things are attracting outside interest. And, you know, the more you have on TV, for instance, in, in Country File, whether we're talking about uh, regenerative farming, that is generating interest at, at school level and graduate level, because 
the point I wanted to make particularly about it, uh, engineering is that once engineering graduates start down the route of, say, aeronautics or motor, then it's very difficult to pull them back out of that into the agriculture. Why? Well, because often the salaries are higher, they're better looked after, they have a, a strong career path, um, they're invested in, their, their, their apprenticeship programmes are usually quite extensive. And so once they start down a, an engineering, engineering career out of ag, yeah, it can be difficult to bring them bring them back in. I was talking to a dealer recently, and I don't know whether you find this as a problem, who uh, thought he had found an ideal candidate, and not through your company, I might mm. add, and, and played all, all the way along, and only to find out that um, he was kind of playing off one employer against another. Do you find that an issue? Yes. Yeah. I, I, sorry, do you want me to answer, Grace, or are you going to answer? Um, well, I was just going to say, definitely counter-offers. Again, it goes hand in hand at where we're at, but it's there are things that can be done. You know, we've specifically trained our team on how to deal with counter offers. And it's not a case of just letting it run out and hoping for the best and crossing your fingers out the end. If you're the people that you're dealing with, the consultants have managed the situation right from the beginning and actually said, look, what would you do in a counter offer situation? You know, clearly there is an element that you know, goes beyond everyone's means. But as long as you've done all you can to manage that situation and not make it be a big shock at the end, then, you know, that is part of what what we do. And, you know, it's definitely gone up, like just significantly, I would say, in the last year, I would say I'd be fair to say that we're getting about 75% more of counter offers than we've ever seen before. And it goes back and just support you, Grace, it goes back, to what we were saying um, where the market is, is that this two years of uncertainty, this two years of, you know, and, and then inflation going forward, all these things, people are just going, oh, I'm going to move, I'm going to move. Oh, gosh, it's just going to be easier to stay where I am. Oh, and you're going to give me some more money, are you? All right, I'll just stay where I am. The, the truth of it is that we often call these people their uh, six-monthers because the, 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 the reason why they picked the phone up or the reason why they listened to us is usually I don't feel like I'm be, I've got a career path, I don't feel very supported. That's why they pick the phone up or why they listen to us. Another few thousand pounds a year doesn't make that issue go away. And it usually resurfaces within six months. They'll, they'll be back on the, on the phone. So that's a very, very common um, situation at, at the moment. Uh-huh. So my advice to any client is look after your people, make them feel wanted, make them make them so that a recruitment consultant wants to pick up the phone to them, but look after them so well that they, that, that client, that candidate won't listen. Yeah. And, yeah. and that comes in a, in a number of uh, ways and means and some people yeah. offer shares in their ca- company and so yeah. on and so forth. Yeah. I mean, as we all know, farming food production, shall we say, is facing uh, a lot of financial challenges at the moment. Pay is obviously an issue. How do you find, you mentioned something earlier about uh, engineering students going off into aviation mm. or other, other sectors. Do you find that the pay structure is a challenge for you sometimes, getting getting over that? Do you, do you mean in the, in the engineering sector? I'm thinking generally, actually. Yeah, well, I think I would say two things. I think we've certainly seen a, um, a, a creep upwards of, of salaries following this um that pandemic, but but you'd expect that in a, in, in any market uh, where where there's short supply, then then costs go up. Yes, I think salary can be an issue in the agricultural engineering uh, sector. I think um, you're asking people to be maybe doing you know on call seven days a week, 
to be lying in a, in a in a muddy field, maybe with a computer or without a computer. Whereas, you know, you, you can go into the automotive sector, work in a clean environment the five days a week, and, and that can be more attractive for, for you for your generation Zs. You know, why would you want to lie in mud underneath a tractor when you can be in a in a Honda factory in Swindon? Yeah. I, on the other hand, I've talked to many, many people, particularly um, women engineers recently mm. in, this, in this sector, who have been in the automobile industry, find it boring, too sanitized, <laughs> and actually are the adventurous type. And they want to come into uh, food production outside uh, careers because of that very reason. They don't want to be yeah. in, in a sanitized uh, job. I mean, yes. Grace, is that? do you find that from some of your clients? I definitely think there has been an understanding from that side much more than ever before. And I do think people are starting to sort of open up. You know, there's a lot, there's still a lot we need to do, Chris. In my opinion, we're only just scratching the surface. Indeed. And 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 you um you are involved in a lot of sectors within agriculture, stroke food production. Do the combined might of all the associations involved in that sector, do they do enough to promote the opportunities within it? That's a good good question. It's a good question. And and probably the answer is no. Otherwise, we probably wouldn't be having the conversation. Agriculture or food production is short of, of people in it. But I think what we're dealing with are two things. Uh, and I think we have the brand of agriculture and food production, which for years had people, farmers, whatever you want to call them, saying, hey, there's no money in farming. Uh, why would you want to do it? You know, I'd much rather go on holidays than do fun. We spent a long time telling anybody that wanted to listen how tough and and and, un, and badly paid farming was. And then 10 years later, 20 years later, we're, worried, we're wondering why people don't want to, to come and join us in this sector. So I think we've got a legacy that we, we are changing opinions towards it, which we've already discussed. But I think the other thing is, is that the individual companies within the food production and ag sector have, have a role to play in this as well. And I think companies are very good at marketing their products or services. Many companies are less good at marketing them, marketing themselves as great places to work. And I think many people at the top of some of these businesses came through the 80s and 90s where it was, you're lucky to have a job. You know, why wouldn't you want to come and work with us? Our name is whatever it is. Why wouldn't you want to come and work with us? So I think companies need to change that perception of brand identity and sell themselves as hard as they sell their products to be a company that people want to come and work for and feel proud to be part of. So that's the other element that I think the industry really needs to tackle. Some companies are doing it well, some some other companies aren't. And, and Grace, in, in your team, you, you most of you, pretty well all of you, have got an agricultural background. Do you find that uh, your enthusiasm for the sector can often rub off on those people that you are perhaps interviewing and uh, you, you can open open eyes for people maybe? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, and, and I don't I don't blame them. There's a lot of people that think because we're in recruitment, we don't know the difference between hay and straw. And I think when they actually start speaking to you and they realize like the amount of people I spoke to and I'll go yes you know I'm a farmer's daughter myself and you can almost hear the change you know they then realize we know we understand we feel their pain in some areas and um, you know that is definitely a big part of what we do and I think that's a great way of describing it Chris is they can understand our passion 
But flipping it the other way, they also know that we will know if they're talking about something wrong, (laughs) we will pick them up on it because we 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 are experts and we understand. And you know, again, that that's part of what we're here to do. But you know, I I definitely think that is what's needed, that that passion, that drive. Mm. Those are the ones that we can, you know, we describe as maybe diamonds in the rough, the ones that, you know, have that passion, who have those great attitudes, who are the ones that, you know, have that potential. And those are the best placements are the ones that the clients are like, I wouldn't have looked at them if it hadn't have been for you. Sure. Well, look, I, I do thank you both for, for joining me today. Just just one sort of last question. You, you're a specialist recruitment agency within the uh, agriculture f- field. Um, do you compare notes with other specialist agencies? Do you get the chance to do that, to, to, to really see how, how their issues compare with yours? I mean, is that something that you have the opportunity to do? Do you, do you mean uh, um, in the in, in agriculture and food? No, I'm thinking of other industries as well. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Stuart. Well, I think certainly one of my roles is always to communicate, talk to, and benchmark what we do with with the whole recruitment um, industry across the board. And um, valuable lessons uh, should always be learned from from competitors and from from uh, similar businesses. So yes, we're constantly. Mm learning and i think other other recruitment industries learn, sectors learn, learn from us as well well look thank you thank you Stuart. thank you grace very much uh, for for this insight uh, uh, one of the reasons why i wanted to hook up today is that i don't know too much about recruitment agencies and the way you work and your ethos and your thinking so Marta, thank you both very much today for your participation thank you Good thank you for the opportunity you. chris thanks yeah thanks for the opportunity Well, I find that quite an eye-opener and certainly an interesting insight into the world of a specialist recruitment agency. I particularly like Stuart's plea towards the end that it was important for companies to place as much focus on themselves as a great employer as they do on promoting the products that they sell. Why even Amazon, who are not free from media attention about some of their working practices and conditions, counteract that by spending a considerable sum on TV – highlighting the positive and beneficial aspects of working for Amazon. So thank you to Stuart and to Grace for giving me, and I hope you, the lowdown on unearthing that exact match, that ideal candidate for a key role within your company. I'm Chris Biddle. Thank you for joining me. And this is Inside AgriTurf.